street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hi, I'm Dan Simpson from the internet, and I'm here to tell you to stop taking it all personally. Successful interventions may depend mostly on your interlocutor. I often get frustrated with unproductive street epistemology interviews, many of which leave me wishing I'd done something differently. I sometimes beat myself up if... After the interview, I think of something wittier to have said. The French have a term for this phenomenon, which we do not. L'esprit de l'escalier, or stairwell wit, to think of a reply too late. What I'm learning through attempting dozens of interviews with a cornucopia of believers is that I should stop beating myself up after bad chats. As long as I'm modeling uncertainty, my ability to engender doubt and my ability to help my interlocutor arrive at more reliable ways of knowing things may be more about what they value than the quality of the street epistemology I deliver. Well, let's be honest. When an intervention goes badly, it's not always on you. A variety of alternative, nearly impossible to determine explanations might exist to explain why your interlocutor wouldn't answer questions directly or refuse to budge on their stated confidence level after determining their reasons were unreliable. I'm here to tell you, stop taking it all personally. It's not always about you. Just do your job. Perhaps like many of you do, I wish lots of conversations had gone differently. Sure, after looking at some of my earliest recorded interventions, many clearly could have had more productive outcomes through a more practiced form of SE. But could all of my unproductive chats? Even if I had years of SE training, how could I truly know all of my least productive interventions could have had a better outcome? For instance, successfully imparting doubt on a believer who believes something I see as irrational. Just because some people are easily dissuaded, does that mean all people will be easily dissuaded? I like to look back at my old Periscope interviews of believers to see the progression of my ability to elicit doubt. Often, I'll catch myself face palming as I watch my early mistakes, many of which seem to lead to less than fruitful results. Though, while I notice there's always room for improvement, the truth may be that there is no amount of training that could have saved some of my least productive chats with believers. In a recent intervention on Periscope, my interlocutor was 60% certain her belief in existential nihilism was a true belief. In the chat, I had to backtrack several times just to wrap my head around the belief and, and the thought process surrounding it. Each time I became lost, I simply recapped the conversation we had had up to that point. By the end of my chat, which I didn't think was particularly effective, 
she was 45% certain existential nihilism was a true belief, a net 15% increase in doubt. Eventually, when I asked why her confidence shifted, the interlocutor replied, because you told me my own things, I said, and it made me think, and hearing it sounded ridiculous to me. Wow, what a revealing statement. Just hearing her beliefs come out of my mouth, perhaps a few times, made her confidence drop. That which most specifically led to successfully imparting doubt was my own uncertainty in the intervention, which, several times, forced me to summarize the chat up to that point. It's also possible the sincerity of my uncertainty encouraged the same in her as well. Stop and think about it. As long as we do a decent job as street epistemologists, which is arguably not very difficult, our ability to successfully impart doubt may be all about the interlocutor's willingness to be open to honest investigation and their willingness to amend their beliefs when viewed through the lens of critical thinking. As is for any dialectical technique used for engaging folks with a particular goal, there will always be room to improve. Continue reviewing your chats, or start now if you don't already, and review them with fresh eyes, considering what else you could have done, what alternatives exist. If you haven't already started engaging in these types of chats, remember that you're exactly as good at street epistemology as you need to be right now to have talks with others about the reasons they believe. This alone is a needed public service. Yes, by doing street epistemology more often with a variety of people, your skills and the quality of interventions will grow naturally and you can begin to elicit doubt more effectively. For me, realizing there's always room to improve is reason enough to not take it all personally when an intervention goes wrong. If perhaps no amount of practice could help me reach street epistemology perfection, then in that sense, I'm already perfect right now. After attempting several interventions, you'll get a feel for the spectrum of willingness to be open-minded and willingness to change from person to person. Sometimes an interlocutor is not as open and willing as you'd like. You have direct questions about their beliefs, but they refuse to answer in a clear way, or they answer a different question than the one you're asking. These interlocutors are what I like to call squirrely, and they can often test my patience. In comparison, when you eventually interview someone who is open-minded and open to change, it can feel akin to cutting soft butter with an extremely sharp knife. SE skills can feel like overkill with certain interlocutors, especially when you're chatting with an open-minded individual who values critical thinking, but previously hasn't thought about their belief in depth. This illustrates further how the immediate outcome of your chats are highly dependent on the openness of your interlocutor. It's not all about you. To me, it begins to seem that no matter the level of enthusiasm or preparation I have for an interview, as long as I do my job by mirroring thought processes and sincerely demonstrating uncertainty, 
successfully imparting doubt is less about me and what I do and say, and is more about the interlocutor and what they think and value. That's a meaningful realization because it takes at least some of the pressure off of me as a street epistemologist. Now, I can stop beating myself up when my wit catches up with me in the stairwell. So, what should street epistemologists do? How do we do our job to the best of our ability, knowing you aren't as good at street epistemology as you will be someday, and the outcome of your interventions depend largely on your interlocutor? Well, simply walk through the door when it's open and have these conversations more often with more people when they present their beliefs. Be there to put the pebble in the shoe. Perhaps today is the day their laces aren't laced so tightly. Listen to and repeat your interlocutor's words. Compassionately mirror your interlocutor's thought process. After all, it's not about you. You want your interlocutor to confront their own ideas and thinking in a way that makes sense to them. And don't take it personally when conversations don't go as well as you'd hoped. It takes two to tango. Maybe your interlocutor actually wants to do a waltz. You want to engage in open examinations of beliefs, but all they really want to do is prove you wrong, proselytize, or try to frustrate you. Thank you for listening. Be good to yourself and be good to each other. Peace now. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Boghossian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos. 